When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode number 403 of Sustainable Minimalist. What do we do here? Well, we are a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing food additives. And we're starting out with a story today. So if you hate stories, you just want content, I won't be mad. Please go ahead and use your player skip button, skip ahead to about minute five, and you'll get into the content. But I think the story, I am biased, but I do think the story is relevant and important. Two weekends ago, it was Saturday morning, I was lying in bed, I had just woken up, and I was doing something that I often suggest to all of you not to do. And that is bring my phone to bed. I'm scrolling through social media. I know I'm not following my own advice, but I'm scrolling through. So the kids are still sleeping and I'm scrolling through Facebook. (laughs) I know. Anyway, I see a post that one of my friends posted and it was an image of three jars, three mason jars with three stalks of celery sticking out of the three jars. Jar one was water, jar two was blue dye, and in jar three was red dye 40. Jar one with the water was a healthy celery stock. Jar two with the blue food coloring was a healthy celery stock. Didn't look as healthy, I must say, as the one in the water. But jar three, which was the one with the red food coloring, the red dye 40, the stock was completely dead. It died within one day, according to the creator of the post. Red dye 40 is in a lot of candy and processed foods, and we're going to talk about it in a bit, but the story's not done yet. Literally 10 minutes later, my daughter woke up, my youngest daughter, and she was complaining of a headache, which wasn't surprising because she was sick the night before. And so I go to the medicine cabinet and I pull out the children's Tylenol. This medicine is cherry flavored. It is bright red. It is an unnatural red. And so I thought to myself, hmm. I just saw this post about Red Dye 40. Let's turn over this children's Tylenol. What is ingredient number three (laughs) on this list of ingredients? You guessed it, Red Dye 40. So the thing that killed the celery stock in under 24 hours is in this medicine that I was considering giving my daughter. So we as parents are seeking relief for our child's sickness, whatever the sickness is, but we're giving them a product with an additive that contains benzidine a known human carcinogen. All right, so story over. Unless you live on a farm and grow all your own food, you're buying food. Today, about 60% of the foods Americans eat are processed. Food is a product we consume, both literally 
and figuratively. Food directly relates to our quality of life, our life spans. And yet, there is so much conflicting information out there about what's healthy, what's unhealthy, everything in between. Hard truth time. If you're like most people, you're likely spending your hard-earned dollars on food that you've been told is healthy, but may very likely not be. And so it pays to know what's in these food products that we're not only buying with our dollars, but also eating, consuming. And so my goal today is quite simple. I want to make you a more informed consumer the next time you're at the grocery store. And I know, I know I'm a human being that listening to a podcast on food additives may not at first glance sound all that exciting. Heck, if I had a choice between listening to a podcast about food additives or listening to a podcast about reality TV drama, I'm going to pick the reality TV podcast nine times out of 10. Just being honest there. However, you do have my full promise that I'm going to teach you something really darn important. And while you're learning, I'm going to do my absolute best to make sure we have a good time. So today we're going to talk about processed foods, what they are, what additives and preservatives are, and then we're going to talk about three, maybe four of them that I think you should be paying attention to. So let's start today by all getting on the same page. We've heard the term processed food many a times, but what exactly is a processed food? (laughs) What is it? I mean, isn't flour a processed food at the end of the day? And how can we avoid, realistically avoid processed foods? Well, broadly, the term processed food means taking a fresh food, like, say, corn, and turning it into a food product like, say, corn chips. Processing methods, there are many of them. Freezing is a processing method. Canning, fermenting, pasteurizing, pickling. I could go on and on. Heck, cooking is a process, right? Cooking is processing a food. Humans have been processing food for centuries. If you can foods, like perhaps you garden and then you're canning your tomatoes or making pickles and you're canning, The instructions you follow, the recipe literally says process your jars, doesn't it? And so let's go back to flour for a second. Flour is a processed food, isn't it? Wheat flour is made by taking the wheat berry, removing the bran or outer shell, and grinding the seed into that flour-ish consistency. What a process, right? And so in my opinion, the problem isn't in the processing, Processed foods are not necessarily bad. The problem is in the adding of stuff to the food that are called, well, take a guess, additives. So not all foods that are processed have additives, but all foods that have additives are processed. Additives are, again, added to food to enhance the flavor, so make it taste better, to make it look better. Maybe it enhances the texture or the color. Think about my Tylenol example, right? Colors get lost during the processing, and so we're adding colors back in to make the food look more attractive, more appealing. Additives are extra. And so some additives are added specifically to slow the decomposition process 
Those additives have a special name called preservatives. Preservatives extend the shelf life of products so they can stay on the supermarket shelf longer. Some preservatives, again, have been used for centuries. There's nothing wrong with them. They're healthy and safe. Salt is a great one. How did we get fish and meat across oceans? We salted them. How about sugar in jams and jellies and marmalades? That's a preservative. Sulfur dioxide is a preservative often used in wine. And so I say all this to say that not all additives are bad, but some of them are, and we're going to get to those some of them in a minute. Before we do that, though, I really want to blow your mind. When a company wants to include a food additive in their product, whatever their product is, maybe cookies or, I don't know, cottage cheese, whatever the product is, when a company wants to add an additive to that product, it can go down one of two roads. The first road is the one that we all know and love, and that is getting FDA approval. The problem with getting FDA approval is that obtaining such approval can take years or even decades. So no company wants to wait years or decades to get their product approved with this new additive in it. So most companies take route number two. It's much faster. On road two, a company can choose to have its food additive declared, quote, generally recognized as safe or G-R-A-S for short. When a company goes down road number two, it's the company that decides that what it's adding to its product is safe. And notifying the FDA on road number two is completely voluntary. Yes, that is correct, listeners. Companies do not have to inform the FDA about the additives they're using. In 1958, the GRAS designation was established as an exception for common, keyword common, household ingredients like baking soda, let's say, that were widely used and known to be safe. So if a company was adding baking soda into their product, the generally recognized as safe designation was used to help speed that up. Baking soda, nobody's complaining about or concerned about, right? The generally recognized as safe designation helped to cut through a bit of red tape, let's say. But in 1997, the FDA introduced a new rule that allowed companies to decide for themselves whether an ingredient was safe. And so now the generally recognized as safe road is a loophole, essentially. And it's super misleading, right? As a consumer, as somebody who buys food, it's super misleading. According to a 2016 survey, 77% of people surveyed believed that GRAS, generally recognized as safe, meant that the FDA had evaluated the ingredient and found it to be safe. But that's not true. The survey also found that 66% of respondents believed that the FDA regularly monitors the safety and use of these generally recognized as safe additives. But they don't. The bottom line here is there are a significant number of chemicals in processed foods that just have not been tested for safety of human consumption. We Americans, we are trustworthy people, are we not? We want to trust companies. We want to believe they're doing right by our health. We also want to trust the FDA. We want to believe in our government. It's protecting us. It is high time we stop trusting 
these other entities and we start leaning into our own conscious consumer skills. Now, as with most things, California is ahead of the curve. Just last week, if you're paying attention to the news headlines, just last week, the California legislature passed a first-of-a-kind bill to ban four very specific food additives that are linked to specific health issues. New York State, by the way, also has a similar bill on the table. And so if California Governor Newsom signs it, this bill will prohibit the sale of foods and drinks in California that contain four very specific additives. We're going to talk about two of the four additives, and then I'm going to add in a couple that I think are especially important to pay attention to. Because how on earth did the sponsors of this California bill come up with these four out of thousands of generally recognized as safe additives. I have no idea how they picked these four. I guess we could say thank you for picking four. It's a great starting point. However, there are dozens more that we as consumers need to know about and be concerned about as well. And so I should say here too that the four additives that California is planning to ban as of 2027. These four additives, they're already banned in the European Union and so many other places around the world. We here in America, we are behind the curve when it comes to making sure our food supply is healthy. And so it is indeed time to talk about three very specific additives that I want you paying attention to the next time you go to the grocery store. We're going to take our break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about artificial food coloring. We're going to talk about the benzoate preservatives. So I'm going to give you an education. We will do that after our sponsor break. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch, 
They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we're back. We're on to that part of the show where I am giving you four very specific food additives to watch out for. The first one, broadly, it's a category, and that is the artificial food coloring. The California legislature just banned red dye number three. And I should say here too, red dye three, it Again, first of all, is derived from petroleum. It has been banned by the FDA in cosmetics for an awful long time because studies show that it causes cancer in lab animals. Yet, crazily enough, it is still used. Red dye number three is still used in food and medicine to, again, give it that bright red hue. So if you're thinking to yourself, huh, we're not allowed to put red dye three on our bodies, but we can still consume it. We can still eat it. That doesn't sound right. My spidey sense is going off. That's good. Your spidey sense should be going off. That makes no sense. So artificial food coloring broadly, it's used again to make food look brighter, more fun. <laughs> but artificial food coloring, it adds no nutritional value. And in some cases, like in the case of red dye three, it can cause more harm than good. Now, what does it look like when it's listed on a product? First of all, you don't even have to look at the ingredients list to spot food coloring. You can look at the product itself. If the product is an unnaturally bright color, you can Take a good guess that there is some artificial food coloring in it. Then when you turn the product over, look for the color and then a number. So it could be red NO3, red number three, or just red three. There are nine certified synthetic dyes that are approved for use in the U.S. at this moment in time, but only three of them make up 90% of their use in food. These three colorings, now here's where I really want you to pay attention. The three food colorings that make up 90% of use in foods contain benzidine, which is a known human carcinogen. Benzidine is known to cause cancer in humans. Red 3 in particular has been shown to increase the risk of thyroid tumors in some animal studies. So cancer is certainly a problem with the food colorings, but so is hypersensitivity, allergic reactions are common, anything from hives to itchy skin to facial swelling, in rare cases, anaphylactic shock. So there's cancer, there's hypersensitivity, and then there's hyperactivity. Dyes can and do affect children with those telltale hyperactivity symptoms, regardless of whether the child is diagnosed with ADHD or not. If your child is showing ADHD symptoms and you brought them to the pediatrician, the first thing your pediatrician likely recommended was for you to clean up your child's diet, right? Even if your child does not have a diagnosis of ADHD, even if you have never talked to your pediatrician about hyperactivity and your child's diet, 
you can and should still clean up their diet because dyes affect all children's, every child's attention, focus, etc. We're going to talk in a minute about a very interesting study coming out of the European Union on hyperactivity and diets. But I say all this to say category number one of food additives you should be paying attention to is the artificial food coloring. Pay special attention to that red dye number three, which the California legislature has just banned. Pay attention to all of them. None of them are good. None of them add any nutritional value. Pay special attention to red three. All right, so let's move on to the benzoates. They are preservatives. They're are two kinds. There's sodium benzoate and there's potassium benzoate. Neither of these two preservatives are included in the California bill or the New York proposed bill that's on the table. I have no idea why the benzoate preservatives are not included. Again, they're still concerning. Not sure why they're not in the bills. But these are preservatives. They, of course, are intended to keep food fresh longer The benzoate preservatives are most often found in beverages like soda and flavored water. They're also found in acidic foods like salad dressings, pickles, condiments, okay? I should say here too that the benzoate preservatives are also found in non-food items, shampoo, toothpaste, mouthwash. So there's an opportunity here for multiple exposures throughout your day. And the way I see it, there are two big problems with the benzoate preservatives. Number one is they exacerbate symptoms of ADHD. So we were just talking about ADHD with the dyes, right? And a study from 2007 did again test these benzoate preservatives and artificial food coloring on children. And this is what they found. So 2007, Researchers examined 300 children in two different age groups. So the first age group was three-year-olds, and the second age group was eight- and nine-year-olds. 300 children, okay? Over three one-week periods, the children were randomly assigned to consume one of three fruit drinks each day. So drink one had the amount of dye and sodium benzoate that's typically found in a British child's diet. That was drink one. Drink two had lower concentrations of these additives. And drink three was free of all additives. So no dye, no preservatives, no benzoate preservatives. Parents and teachers had no idea which drink their children were drinking But they did make notes on their children's behavior and attention spans, okay? So let's recap. Drink one had the average amount of additives in a typical British child's diet. Drink two had lower concentrations of these additives. And drink three had no additives. Guess what they found? Take a guess. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to take an educated guess here. The results, drinks one and drinks two significantly affected the older kids, the eight and nine-year-olds. And drink one, which was the most potent one, really affected the behavior and attention of the youngest children, the three-year-olds. Parents and teachers noticed restlessness, concentration issues, fidgeting, talking too much. And lead researchers did not go as far to say that sodium benzoates and red dyes cause 
ADHD? No, there's no causal relationship that they can confidently say. However, they did say that, quote, the adverse effects from consuming these additives could affect a child's ability to benefit from the experience of school. What does that mean? That means that whether a child has a diagnosed ADHD or not, consuming these additives can impact their ability to access the curriculum, can impact their ability to fully learn. After this study came out, Great Britain immediately issued an advisory for parents to limit their children's intake of these additives, which again was artificial food dyes and sodium benzoate. Okay, I should say here too, it's not just one study and oh, lots of holes in this study. No, no, no. Multiple studies have been conducted with other age groups and found similar results. One study in particular that I read showed that a higher intake of beverages containing sodium benzoate was associated with more symptoms of ADHD in college students. So wide range of ages, similar results despite age. So there's concentration issues associated with the benzoates. There's also a cancer connection. When benzoates are combined with vitamin C in beverages, the benzoates can form benzene, which you may have heard of. It's a known carcinogen. It is known to cause cancer. It's not suspected to cause cancer, and it does cause cancer. Carbonated beverages contain the highest concentration of this benzene, and diet or sugar-free beverages are even more prone to the formation of benzene. Fanta and Sprite are two very specific examples. And so if you're looking to fully avoid or at the very least reduce your exposure to these benzoate preservatives, either sodium benzoate or potassium benzoate, know that it could say sodium benzoate or potassium benzoate on the label. It may say benzoic acid. It could even be more abbreviated than that. It could say E211 or E212. Very confusing, is it not? And so let's cover one more. I have a laundry list of additives that I want to talk about today. But in the efforts of not overwhelming you and in the efforts of respecting your time, let's just do one more. (laughs) The last one I want to talk about today is potassium bromate. Potassium bromate is in the California bill, by the way. So as of 2027, assuming Governor Newsom signs it into law, no products sold in California will have potassium bromate. What is it? Potassium bromate is a flour additive that improves the texture of baked goods. It allows bread to rise higher, be fluffier. Well, it has also been linked to cancer in lab animals. It is found in bagels, English muffins, crackers, rolls, etc. I should say, I make a lot of my food at home. I'm getting better and better every month with this. However, I am not at the point where I'm making tortillas at home. I'm not sure I'll ever get to the point where I'm making tortillas at home, if I'm being completely honest. However, as I was preparing for this episode, I you know, I was reading about potassium bromate. I thought to myself, I think I have a package of tortillas in the fridge. Let's go check them out. I took them out of the fridge, turned it over. Sure enough, potassium bromate was listed in the ingredients list. So potassium bromate, it's an additive in our bread items, and it is classified as a possible human carcinogen by the International Agency for Research on Cancer. 
That means, fancy way of saying, it may increase your cancer risk. Now, again, the U.S. of A., we are behind the curve. So many countries have already banned potassium bromate. The EU, Canada, Brazil, China, I could go on. Why is it still allowed in the United States? I have no idea. What's particularly frustrating to me about this possible carcinogen that's in our food supply is that it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, it can improve the texture and rise of your bread, but other healthier ingredients can do the exact same thing. It's totally possible to bake without potassium bromate. And so let me just say here too, on Thursday's episode, I'm bringing you an interview with the two authors of a new sourdough bread cookbook. I'm so excited. We're talking all things sourdough. You can buy bread at the supermarket without potassium bromate. You just have to know to look for it. You can also make bread in your own kitchen without any additives or preservatives whatsoever. And so if you have any interest in expanding your cooking skills, maybe trying sourdough out for the first time, definitely listen to Thursday's episode because my guests are a wealth of knowledge. And the episode is full of my trials and tribulations as I sought to master sourdough. I started back in March. I feel like I'm at a good place now. And so definitely listen to Thursday's episode. It's a fun one. All right, so let's recap. So we talked about artificial food dyes. We talked about the benzoate preservatives, and we talked about potassium bromate. Now I want to give you some thoughts, some action steps. Where on earth do we go from here? I have been all over the map on this. I am, of course, as I've said many a time, a zero to Oprah type of person. When I decide I'm going to do something, I go all out. So in this case, I decided I was not eating any more foods that I did not cook myself. And I did that for a good three to four months. I was so proud of myself. But it was hard work. And then one day I was at a rest stop and the Starbursts were calling me and I ate a whole pack of Starbursts and then I felt guilty and I went back to my old eating habits. So the zero to Oprah, the 100% perfect all the time, it doesn't work long term, at least for me. And so these days I'm following the 80-20 rule. 80% of what I consume is homemade and largely additive free. 20% of the foods I eat in a week are processed, let's say, or from a restaurant even. Because again, for me, being militant always backfires. I love Starbursts. I love the red ones in particular. I want to live a life in which I can eat them occasionally. Keyword occasionally as a treat. And so compare this 80-20 rule with the statistic I shared at the beginning of the show, which is that today about 60% of the foods Americans eat are processed. Michael Pollan, he's an author. He's also my food hero, by the way. He gives the very simple advice. Don't eat anything your great-grandmother wouldn't recognize as food. And again, if that's too militant for you, if you're just not there yet and perhaps you'll never be there, I do have some incremental tips for you. The first one is to, first of all, remember that if you have children, children are more susceptible than adults to the potential risks of unsafe additives. Kids eat more food pound for pound, which means that their developing organs are especially vulnerable. So yes, worry about yourself and your own health, but pay special attention to your kids because your kids are growing and they're more susceptible to potential risks. 
as a mom, like I want my kids to fill up on healthy whole foods. And so I've done many episodes on this in the past, but what's working for me right now is bringing my kids with me to the grocery store so that they can pick out the fruits and vegetables that they're interested in eating for the upcoming week. That works. I mean, bringing the kids to the grocery store is not fun, and it can indeed backfire just as they're asking for the organic raspberries. They're also asking for the cakes. (laughs) But largely, by and large, it works for me at the moment. I've also learned that presentation really does matter. Just this morning, I was preparing their breakfast, right? And so I cut up a plum and I cut up a banana and I put these items in a pattern. So plum, banana, plum, banana around the periphery of the plate. That is simple. Took me an extra 10 seconds, but it looked cute and it enticed them to consume it. Presentation matters with adults and especially with kids. I also am giving them the healthier foods before anything else. So again, this morning is a great example. On the weekends, my husband makes a giant batch of either pancakes or waffles, and then we have enough to spread out throughout the week. So before I'm giving them the pancakes and the waffles, and even though they're homemade and they're largely additive-free, I still want them to eat the fruit first. So I'm giving them the fruit first. And then when their plate is completely or mostly clear, once the fruit has been eaten, then they get the pancakes and the waffles. And I do this all the time. I do this at snack. I do this at dinner. We have like a meze. Meze is appetizer. We have meze time where they're sitting down and they're having cucumbers and carrot sticks and hummus. They're first filling their belly with that stuff before I give them the dinner because I want them to eat it. And if I put it on the side, that's going to be the thing they eat last. Okay, so I have some more thoughts for you. Very simple. If you're looking at a label to avoid the artificial stuff, look for chocolate or cocoa on a label as opposed to chocolate flavoring right? Or artificial flavoring. Also, on the same vein, can we go back to that time when soda and candy really processed stuff? Can we go back to that time when those items were truly treats? There was a time, I think during my childhood, they were treats. My husband, by the way, husband, if you're listening, I'm still so mad at you. He gave my kids soda the other day at the pool. It was a nondescript day. We weren't celebrating anything. They asked for it, and he gave it to them. This caused major issues in my marriage, by the way. But can we, all of us, my husband and everybody, can we go back to giving these items as treats on special occasions when they've earned it? Make them rare. Because when they're rare, they're more special, right? So it is special if you get it once a year. It's not special when you get it all the time. It's no longer special. Going to restaurants and getting takeout, they should also be treats. You may find yourself thinking, oh, well, you know, a frozen pizza from the supermarket is probably full of additives. But what about the takeout from my favorite restaurant? That's got to be healthy. It's it's home cooked. Well, not so fast, right? Because you have no idea what's in your takeout. And restaurants, not all restaurants, but Certainly some restaurants are likely using the cheaper ingredients with those perhaps less than stellar additives. Restaurants run on tight margins. So it would be short-sighted to simply assume that because the food is freshly cooked, it's healthier. And I'm not saying stop getting takeout. I'm not saying don't support your local restaurants. 
I am saying make eating out a treat again. Make it not your Monday through Friday go-to meal plan, right? Make it a treat. And so I guess the final word today for all of us, no matter where we are on our cooking journey, no matter where we are, maybe we're starting at the bottom, maybe we are cooking absolutely everything from scratch, wherever we are on that spectrum, leave your excuses at the door and cook more. So if you're cooking nothing from scratch right now, cook just one thing a week, just one, and like get really great at it, and then add a second thing on. If you're cooking all the time, I'm willing to bet there's still at least one more thing in your kitchen that you can make from scratch. Maybe it's the salad dressing. Maybe it's the hummus. Maybe it's the sourdough buns that I just made to go with my chickpea burgers for tonight. And so one more plug for Thursday's episode. You want to cook more? You've never tried sourdough? Thursday's episode is going to give you all the tools, all the tricks, all the insider tips to make you successful on that journey. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 403. I so hope you learned something today. Reach out if you need me and take care.